Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, October the 3rd. Yep, we're in the month of October 2022. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And as is our custom on Mondays, we like to take a look at one of the lessons for the following Sunday. And that's the 18th Sunday after Pentecost, October the 9th, 2022. And the lessons are from Ruth chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and Luke 17. Now, the book of Ruth really is important because it shows how the line to Jesus continued. Ruth is, of course, the wife of one of Naomi's sons who died. The other son died also. And so Naomi was without her two sons. And she decided to return to the country of Moab. Well, to return from Moab because she had heard that in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food instead of the famine. And so she told her two daughter-in-laws to go home to their mothers, but they both wanted to go with her. And Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Now, this Bible verse is often used at weddings, as though it is something that, well, the wife says to the husband or vice versa. But that's not really the point of the book of Ruth. Now, the reading ends with both Naomi and Ruth returning to Bethlehem. And of course, that's where one of the gentlemen fall in love with Ruth, marries her, and of course, through their seed comes David the king, and finally, Jesus the Christ. That's the purpose of the book of Ruth, to show that God was making sure that the line to Jesus was not exhausted. So that's really the point that would want to be gotten across. In Luke 17, that's really about Jesus meeting 10 lepers and he heals them, but only one returns to him who is a Samaritan. And he praises God that is Jesus, for healing him. Now, that usually is done around Thanksgiving, but we have it earlier this October the 9th. Then we have the epistle for today, which I want to go through. It's from 2 Timothy chapter 2, 1 to 13. This is Paul's second 
letter to Timothy, beginning, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So what does that mean? That through Timothy, other pastors will become congregational leaders in preaching the word of God as Timothy heard it from the Apostle Paul. Now that's going to result in suffering because the world hates the message of Christian pastors because part of that message is law as well as gospel. And nobody likes to hear that in God's eyes, they are poor, miserable sinners. But that needs to be shared so that they come to a realization that they need a savior. And as our liturgy says a number of times, there is nothing we can do to offset our sins. And therefore, you need faithful pastors who do preach the law in its full severity so people will look to the gospel for salvation. And while a pastor is doing his ministry, he will be sharing in the suffering that Jesus also shared. For example, the religious leaders of Jesus' time so hated him because he was destroying their religion of Judaism, which basically taught that you were saved by your works. And not even the commandments, but the works of the ceremonial laws, which of course is ridiculous. So Christian pastors do come under suffering. At times, they come under suffering of their own congregation. Now, in a recent movie I was watching, a pastor was accused of fooling around with a woman, even though he did not. But he was accused by six members of his congregation because they did not like what he was preaching. And so he went to court and he was judged to be innocent of the charges against him, but he still suffered through the trial. In other words, what Paul is saying is verse four, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Now, what is a civilian pursuit. That would be something that has to be taken care of from a political point of view where God's word is not clear as to what the decision of the politician should be. 
And so if a pastor gets really involved, let's say in increasing the wages of people who are working for McDonald's, for example, or gets really involved in making sure that proper housing is built for the poor, or gets involved in today's society allowing people of the same gender to get married. This is not what he has been assigned to do. His aim is to please the one who enlisted him. This is why we refer to the calling of a pastor as a divine call. And therefore, the call committee needs to take a look at the needs of a congregation and move from there. I'm working with four congregations. Uh, Two of them don't have sufficient funds to call a full-time pastor, so they're very happy that I come every week and do worship service for them. The other one, the other two, are involved with a university. And so you would want a pastor who enjoys teaching college students. Now, I do, but in their calling of pastors, there were a couple who declined the call because they weren't interested in working with a college student. So that's something that needs to take a look at. I remember when calls were assigned and I was a pastor and I would have what are called field workers. These were seminarians assigned to my congregation to be trained in ministry for the years that they were at the seminary. And I remember one got a call to youth ministry, but that wasn't his forte he actually declined the call and had to wait another year before he got another call. So each pastor is quite different in what gifts God has given him. And that is usually found out when you examine the papers about potential pastors for your congregation. So the call committee is a very important committee to make sure that we don't get a square pastor in a round hole or vice versa. Some pastors are really excellent at visiting people, shut-ins and hospital calls. Others would like to spend more time with the youth group. Others want to spend a lot of time in sermons and their sermon preparation shows the great interest that people have when they preach. At any rate, they're involved with what's called a word and sacrament ministry, preaching the word of God as God would so have it preached, and not be involved in civilian pursuits where God's word is not clear as to what direction people should go. Now, there's no problem with the laity being involved in civilian pursuits, in trying to vote for the right kind of people 
who have the right kind of policies that they prefer. But for a pastor to be in the pulpit, and I have never done this, and that is to say, here's who you should vote for this coming Tuesday. That would be inappropriate because you don't know where people are and you don't know what their desires are. And therefore you may be saying to them something that you're not really privileged to say. Instead, you are to please God who enlisted you. Verse five, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is a hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, Paul says, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And so Paul is using items from the world to help Timothy understand that as a pastor, you are not crowned unless you compete according to the rules of God, which means that your main purpose is to teach the word of God, to preach the means of grace, and bring comfort to people on the basis of Scripture. Paul continues in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains, as a criminal. So Paul is writing to Timothy when he is imprisoned. And he's imprisoned because Jewish forces are against him. They have whipped him. They had made him hungry. And now he's in jail. And yet, this is not a reason that Timothy should be ignoring the words of Paul because Paul is simply experiencing what Jesus, the Savior, experienced as he preached the word of God. He says, I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Now, the word bound, of course, would mean that he would be in chains, but then he uses the word in the next sentence. But the word of God is not bound. That's so comforting to pastors. They may be charged with false doctrine and people stop listening to them, but there are still others in the congregation that want to hear what the Word of God says. And in that sense, the Word of God is not bound. Therefore, Paul says in verse 10, I endure everything for the sake of the elect 
that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Now, how does a pastor do that? How does he endure everything? Well, when he is criticized by some members of the congregation for being too strong on the law, they may have children who have joined the gay movement, or they may be on drugs, and parents are really afraid to speak out against their children lest they lose their relationship with them. And so they want the pastor to be quiet about these things also. If they have a daughter who is contemplating an abortion, rarely do parents tell them that that could send the daughter to hell. No, instead they try and work with her. They have this idea of love. It's not a biblical view of love. It's a view of love that doesn't want to upset your relative, your neighbor, or your friend so you can stay friends with them. But instead, a proper Christian will endure everything for the sake of saving the elect so that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. That eternal glory, of course, refers to heaven itself. In fact, a lot of people think that the promise given to Abraham was only about Isaac. But if you look closely at Genesis, you will find that he has a promise from God that he'll be going to another land, which will be his home. And God isn't talking about Canaan. He's talking about heaven itself. And that's what is referred to as eternal glory. So we suffer here on earth as pastors or Christians in speaking the word of God in its fullness because of our love for our people. It's actually a loving thing to criticize someone who is living in sin. It's kind of like a blind man. He's trying to cross the street and he doesn't know whether the light is green or red. So he may start off crossing the street where the light is red. What do you do as a Christian or as a normal person? Do you stand back and watch him get hit by a car? Or do you yell out to him, the light is red, the light is red? Or do you really do what is necessary and go over and take him by the arm and help him across the street when the light is green? Those who do not share the law in its full severity are like those who see a blind man crossing the street when the light is red and not caring what happens to him. No, we don't want people to be crossing the street when it's red because the red sign is being held up by Satan being kept from them 
so that he will be able to injure them. The saying in 2 Timothy 2, verse 11, Paul says is trustworthy. What does it say? If we have died with him, we will also live with him. Now that's very comforting. I've had a number of individuals on their deathbed who are comforted by the fact that not only will they die, but they will die with Jesus and they will be taken home to the home that Abraham and all of believers have followed. So when you die, you will also live with him. Verse 12, if we endure, we will also reign with him. Yes, in heaven, we will reign as priesthood of God, part of the priesthood of believers. That occurs also here on the earth. For as Christians, we are able to talk to God directly. We don't need a a priest or a pastor to pray for us. We can say the Lord's Prayer and other prayers directly to God. And therefore, we endure and we will reign with him. Last part of verse 12. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Now, see, that can even happen to a baptized person. As they grow older, they can come enmeshed in the devil's false teaching and maybe decide to join a religion that is not Christian. And in that religion, they are denying the Lord Jesus Christ as the God-man who came to save them from their sins. And if we deny him, he will deny us. Now, the next verse seems to contradict the end of verse 12. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Now, see, that seems to be a contradiction to the previous verse. Is not being faithless, therefore denying Jesus, where he will therefore deny us? No. Being faithless means there are occasions when we don't believe his promises, when we don't believe that he will help us in the day of trouble. And therefore, we go to do our sin to help ourselves. We replace the word of God with our own sinful condition. That is what is meant by being faithless. Well, how does that mean that he remains faithful? To be faithful to someone would mean that they keep their promises to you. 
So what is the promise that God has made to you when you are faithless and sin? That through repentance, God becomes faithful to you and he forgives your sin. So denying oneself from God means an act of unbelief, an act where you are no longer believing in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Whereas being faithless means that you sin. God is faithful and will take care of our sins by the forgiveness of sins as we trust in him. And that means that he will not hold you accountable for your sin. Therefore, God is faithful even when through sin you are faithless because God cannot deny himself, which means he can't go back on a promise that he has made to those who finally really trust in him for salvation and for the greatest gift that they can receive, not just the gift of the forgiveness of sins, but their new home in heaven to live eternally there with God. That's a portion of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. And we'll pray that you'll read the whole of Timothy's letters that Paul wrote to him to learn about the important function not only of pastors, but also of Christians and their mission to teach others also about what has been witnessed to us and given us salvation. This is really good news, which is a way of defining the word gospel. The law is not good news because it accuses us of being faithless. But the gospel is good news because God is faithful. I'm Tom Baker. We took a look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel with Mark Smith, we'll take a look at the hymn, Your Hand, O Lord, in Days of Old. And we will explain that from a law and gospel perspective. Until then, join with us. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your checkout to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132 or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. 
Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.